Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. All right, good morning, everyone. We are live from Smash Studios in Hudson Yards here in New York City. This is Good Morning New York as we get underway on this Tuesday morning. At this hour, co-op rules need to change. This has been the mantra of New York City real estate industry for many years. Things like fair housing practices and time of board approval are becoming increasingly more of a concern. Can this city get there with new laws surrounding these private corporations? Uh, And while putting together your board package, you start to get curious and a bit worried. Co-op boards require so much personal information about your lives, your finances, well, just about everything. So also at this hour, buyers are moving more slowly. Negotiations are taking a lot longer. Contracts are taking longer to get signed. And constant follow-up and communication is key with sellers, buyers, co-brokers, and also with the attorneys and with the banks. We're going to get into all of that with our panel this morning. But first, I'd like to welcome my listeners in the United States and around the world. I am Vince Rocco, and this is Good Morning New York Real Estate. In the news this morning, ahead of the December 7th deadline, Governor Andrew Cuomo signed a bill that will make it easier for landlords to be criminally charged with tenant harassment, both at the felony and misdemeanor level, according to state reports. The new law changes the definition of harassment to include actions taken by a landlord to create unsafe, disruptive, or uninhabitable conditions aimed at pushing tenants out of their apartments. Though the bill was passed uh, passed the legislature before the sweeping changes to the state's rent law were approved, the governor waited several months to sign it. It's typical for the governor to sign newly approved bills in waves, and Cuomo was widely expected to sign the tenant harassment measure. Still, the delay caused concern among some, including one of the bill's sponsors that Cuomo uh, would call for changes to the measure. The priciest home sale in the Hamptons so far this year hasn't topped last year's highest sale, but it came close. Last year, the top Hamptons home sale for a mansion at 290 Further Lane in East Hampton sold for $40 million. The priciest Hampton sale of 2019 may be an oceanfront home at 263 Surfside Drive in Bridgehampton, which sold for $39.25 million in an off-market deal. This according to The Independent. Two properties on Meadow Lane in Southampton have taken the second and third spots so far this year selling for $35 million and $31.35 million, respectively. I like when they refer to these homes as mansions. Isn't everything a mansion out there on Further Lane anyway? After closing its iconic Fifth Avenue flagship at the start of 2019, department store uh, Lord & Taylor will be popping up again as a Manhattan shopping address, sources told Bloomberg News this week. The department store brand, which was sold by former owner Hudson's Bay to clothing rental company Latat for $100 million in cash, in August is reportedly opening 2,400 square foot shop for just two weeks in mid-December. The pop-up shop will be located on Wooster Street in Soho, a neighborhood whose current streetscape boasts as many empty storefronts and seasonal pop-ups as high-end designer fashion shops, another pop-up store in Soho. <clears throat> Cindy Crawford and Randy Gerber are continuing their Nolita uh, house hunt by touring a $9.99 million penthouse at 199 Mott Street. The news comes on the heels of the power couple eyeing a $13.75 million full floor 
condo at 152 Elizabeth Street, as reported in October. The 3,088-square-foot Mott Street penthouse is also on the market as a $30,000 a month rental. The owner bought the unit for $10.79 million in 2015 and first listed it for $11.65 million in 2017. The penthouse spans a full floor and comes with three bedrooms, three bathrooms, and a private roof terrace. It opens via a keyed elevator to a 50-foot entertaining space. In 2018, supermodel Crawford and entertainment mogul Gerber sold their Malibu compound for $45 million, but keeping an adjacent 2.75 acres for themselves. La-di-da. <laughs> I mean, seriously. More than a half a million revelers around the city and across the world gathered uh, at Rockefeller Center's iconic plaza last week, braving cold temperatures to watch the annual Christmas tree lighting extravaganza, which is currently in its 87th year. That, that, that was news to me. I didn't realize it was that long. Uh, Jerry Spire and Rob Spire of Tishman Spire, along with Mayor Bill de Blasio, lit up the iconic tree just before 10 p.m. that night. The tree will be on display until January 17, 2020, when it will be taken down and donated. Here's another new uh, item I didn't know this week. Uh, donated uh, in as used lumber for the Habitat for Humanity organization, which I thought was wonderful. I often wondered, what do they do with these trees? Just chop them up and they throw them away? They used to chip them. To where, though? I, I w- no, for playgrounds. Oh, chip, 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 yeah, yeah, chip. Yeah. And for playgrounds. Well, here they're donating it this to Habitat for Humanity, uh, which I think is a great thing. All right, joining us today uh, from, we got a Halstead Power Group here today, which is always kind of fun. Anna Shagalaw from Halstead on her way. Matthew Cohen from Halstead. Jordan Shea, Douglas Elliman. Uh, Deborah Hoffman is rejoining us today, used to be with us all the time from Halstead. Sean McPeak from Halstead and Richard Grossman, uh, the president of Halstead, is here as well. So good morning, everybody. How is everybody good today? Good morning. Good morning. Great to be back. Yes. Isn't it nice? It is. Oh, brand new digs uh, and all. Especially with the view of Hudson Yards here. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. Look out the window. It's fantastic. <laughs> I'm blown it. away completely. All right, so listen, we, uh, you know, this is this is you know celebration, you know, quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter in the real estate industry, and we have lots of events and extravagances. We recently had the deal of the year, Rebney Real Estate Board of New York extravaganza um, here, and Halstead always typically does very well uh, with these awards, whether it's Rookie of the Year, Deal of the Year, first, second, or third placement, whatever. Deborah Hoffman this year won second placement of the Deal of the Year. I want you to just explain to everybody out there who's listening, first of all what the deal of the year event is and uh, what these uh, awards really you know, mean. What, what do they signify? How do, how, do, how do you get nominated for them? Well, the deal of the year event itself is a charity. It goes to, and I think Richard could probably elaborate on this more than I could. goes to the Members in Need Fund. Yes, which is very important because, remember, we are all independent contractors. We don't get pensions. We don't get all those bells and whistles. And it's very important. I do know some agents who have had to, unfortunately, take from the Members in Need Fund. So the Deal of the Year Gala, which is what it is, in order to win Deal of the Year, it is not – it really is, and it's so much fun. It really – we all get to celebrate each other. There's no – backstabbing as people think there is in real estate. Not at all. We're all celebrating each other. Um, In order to be nominated or win deal of the year, it is not the most expensive deal. We talk about those a lot here at the show. It is the deal where as an agent, you had to use your talent, your smarts, your experience in crazy circumstances to get the deal done. I guess that's it in that show. Well, it's really all about getting the deal done. And, yeah. and we all know in this business that deals can and do 
most of the time go sideways, uh, sometimes tragically, sometimes, you know, uh, you know, in a funny way and sometimes a combination of all of the above. But, you know, in order to get a deal done, sometimes it takes a Herculean effort. So, you know, I lo- I've always liked the, the structure of, you know, the award categories because it, it sets agents aside sometimes from the mix. I mean, there are so many of us running around this town these days and. If you can pull it off, you pull it off. Richard, talk a little bit about, uh, you know, we as a company, Halstead, has had many rookies of the year. We've sure. had many award winners, you know, as Deborah this year. Why do we stand out all the time? I know I know that we're the greatest, but why are we always, you know, placing at the top of the heap when it comes to these award ceremonies? You know, that's a good question. I'm not sure I fully have, I know the answer, but I will say that we do take the uh, the submission seriously. Uh, we do promote it among our agents to actually submit deals, which is the first thing you have to do in order to to be considered. The second thing is, is I think we 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 do have uh, very experienced agents who are doing some very interesting deals, and I think they just get recognized, uh, you know, for what for what they're doing. Um, and we have been, you know, disproportionately uh, a winners in first, second, third place. Um, Rookies of the year, I think, you know, I know that for the, the the downtown offices, five out of the last 10 rookies have come from the downtown office. And we've had the last, I think, two years, in addition, one Long Island City and one in Brooklyn have been rookies of the year as well. I know. Matthew Cohen, you and I met at Deal of the Year way back when. I don't remember the year and I'm trying not to remember the year. <laughs> but you were up for uh, Rookie of the Year that year. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's a great, um, to your point, it's a great extravaganza and to Deb's point, it's a great, you know, just place to all get together and not have, you know, any kind of work on the mind and more just connect as all agents in the business because we all come from very different backgrounds. We can all celebrate each other. We can all kind of enjoy what we're trying to do every day. So I actually think it's a really nice thing for the whole industry. Uh, I'll, I'll give a shout out to the Halstead communications team. I think like Maya and her team have totally. a lot to do with totally. uh, yep. the submissions. I mean, there's a way that it has to be written. It's There's a strategy, I think, behind like your submission for the deal of the year I submitted last year. And uh, I mean, my deal of the year was dragged through the mud, but I couldn't get a countersign by the other broker. It was like a whole thing and they got it, they got it done for me. So, Well, you know what they say, especially in 2019, words matter. Right. right. So yeah. words matter. So it's all the way you write it up and it's all the way you present mm-hmm. your, your situation. All right. Let's move on. So let's talk about co-ops for a little bit before the break. And then when we come back, we'll complete that thought. Fred Peters, who's the CEO of Warburg Realty, uh, recently wrote a piece in Forbes about co-op rules. He said that for years, the Council on New York Cooperatives and the managing agents who run the buildings have fought hard against any legal oversight over how co-op board boards assess purchasers, 2020 should be the year in which that changes. It would benefit everyone, buyers uh, and current shareholders alike, if a few simple rules were put into place. Board members should be required to become familiar with fair housing laws and commit to abiding by those laws, as agents have to. Time limits should be put in place for how long boards take to review board packages from buyers and request, if they need to, uh, follow-up materials. Finally, board should be um, should respond with a, a set period of time with an acceptance or rejection once a package is deemed complete. There are some boards who, you know, you can go months without hearing from them, and, you know, that's really not necessary. What is the likelihood of any of these changes happening in this town? I mean, Richard, what do you I think? I think the likelihood of those changes happening are almost none, and I think that the reason why it's almost none is there's a very famous case, Levonsky case, which is Levonsky versus 1 Fifth Avenue, where 1 Fifth Avenue, the building, the board prevailed. This is from about 19. And it basically gave deference to the boards and the board's decision to um, 
to to make business decisions on behalf of the corporation. So I don't think that getting a laws and change that's going to and that's and this has been held up consistently for the last thirty years. And I don't think that the laws will change to to um, to ameliorate that. You know, and just to clarify for those out there uh, and listening, uh, who are listening, you know, co-ops are private corporations. So they're not, you know, they don't follow anybody's rules but their own. They don't have to report anything to anybody but themselves. And so if they do turn somebody down, and we'll get to that a little later, you know, there doesn't even have to be an explanation for it. It's just a decline and that's it. But they but they do have to follow fair housing laws by the, by law. And we can talk about that as well. Well, well, that that well, that's what I want to talk about. We're going to hold that for after the break because we only have about thirty seconds left. But you know, that's a very tricky situation because yes, they should follow, and they, I would assume, do follow. You know, fair housing rules. But if they turn people down sometimes and they don't give you an explanation, you don't really know what the turndown's all about. So who knows if it's against fair housing? Who knows if it's against you know. Uh, Anything. I mean, you know, you like to think that it's a financial situation, but if you, but if you're qualifying these people, uh, and vetting these people properly and putting them in front of the board, you would hope that it's not a financial situation. So you don't really know. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. But just in general, as we continue to go through, you know, uh, buying and selling, you know, of apartments here in New York City, I agree with Richard. You know, co-ops are not going to change. Uh, it is what it is. But let's take a break. We'll come back after the break. This is Good Morning New York. On the Voice America, uh, Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away. Oh, yeah. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Hi, this is James Nelson. I'm a huge fan of Vince's show, and I'd like to invite you all now to listen to my show on the Voice America Network, Real Estate Investing, live from New York. I will teach you everything you need to know about investing and operating commercial real estate. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of TV and radio shows that deal with investing in the stock market, and yet almost none that cover exclusively commercial real estate. This is not a get-rich-quick or how-to-flip-home shows. I will teach you step-by-step how to source, acquire, improve, and profit from commercial real estate. Please tune in live to the Voice America Business Channel every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern and 4 p.m. Pacific. Thank you. At Halstead, we know that what moves you is important. We're all about the power of transformation. We're revolutionizing the way people live and work. We are agents of change. We are the deal makers. We are the fearless negotiators. We are the future builders. So you can move to what moves you. I'm Jeff Goodman at Halstead, and I love Vince's show. I host a program of my own, but not about real estate. Rediscovering New York is about our city's great neighborhoods, their history, texture, and their current vibe through interviews with historians, business owners, and interesting neighborhood personalities. We're broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc and available on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcasts. Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. I bring the city's great neighborhoods to life. 
It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters, performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their product. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back at uh, segment two. So we are talking about co-ops today. And just before the break, we were mentioning fair housing. And I wanted to also bring in some financial stuff. So, guys, what are your thoughts on the fair housing uh, situation? So we as agents need to pay attention to that. And we have to really, you know, watch those rules very closely. And, you know, we can't, you know, disparage. We can't anything. What, what makes us believe that co-op boards do the same thing? I mean, if they don't have to tell you what their reason for declining somebody is, how do you know what they're basing their, their decision on? My experience with <clears throat> co-op boards is that most co-op boards, I'm not saying there aren't always outliers there, will try to follow the law because the penalty for them not following the law, as evidenced in the Beyond case that happened in 1997, is very severe. They, the co-op members could have personal financial liability if they are sued and found to be against going against fair housing. So again, there are there are buildings that are, are there instances out there? There's lot, obviously lots of buildings, lots of transactions. There's always instances where someone may not follow the law, the law but I think the vast majority of the, the buildings that I know, they do try to follow the law when it comes to fair housing and try, quite frankly, to try to get uh, deals done and to pass the board. Is that all buildings? Of course not, but I think it's the vast majority of them. Yeah, and the issue is it's almost impossible to prove any of this stuff if you don't have right. it in writing. Right. I had a situation where I had a team member get, um, I think it was three board turndowns on the Upper West Side for a studio, and uh, almost all three buyer profiles were identical in terms of marital status and race. Uh, so we we pretty much identify. We were like either they're against unmarried couples or they're against you know, certain people of this uh, this race, actually. So, Well, as Matt said in, during the break, and, and I personally had this, this experience when I was not an agent and I was looking for apartments way back in the 90s, and I would say to my agent, I want to live in this building, and she would say to me, you can't. <laughs> and I'd say, why can't I? I could afford to buy that apartment or whatever. And she would just kind of look at me and she'd say, you can't. And so I pushed the envelope and I'd say, well, Fran, why can't I? And she said, because you're a single man. And I thought, you know, I wasn't in the industry and I didn't know anything about the rules and regulations of a co-op. And I just thought, but I want to live in that building. And I, you know, it's close to where I'm currently living and I'm selling this one and I want to buy that one. But Vince, I, And I, she I, said, you can't. And I will tell you that as someone who's been in this business almost 40 years, I will tell you that 37, 40 years ago, that was true. I think that the world has changed over the last 20 years. 
where I think you're seeing where you don't see that almost at all anymore because there is a heightened awareness of fair housing, number one. And number two is, is that buildings have changed as, the, as generations and some of the previous generations have died and moved out. Those buildings have changed. Yeah. They used to do the same thing for religion, for race, for other things as well. And I would also say that uh, many buildings don't even go to interview if they if they find that there's any potential that there might be a fair housing issue, they won't even they won't even take the time to meet you. They'll just decline you on the package itself. And yeah. to to Richard's point, what's been interesting about co-ops, uh, you know, through the through the last ten to twenty years, is that they they're definitely getting a little more flexible and and open, especially as you know board members die out and their you know their descendants take over or other people take over. But what you do have these days is you have social media, which I will say that you know when my clients are starting their co-op process, I tell them all to either um, either make their profile you can hide it. Or at least make it private and so that people can't see what you're doing or just be smart about it, which I mean, most people are, but you never, never know. I mean, I I had a case years ago where, um, you know, the buyer was selling the apartment. So I I actually didn't know about the buyer as much, but the buyer was doing silly things on his social media and we didn't get a rejection, but we were very close. One of the board members apparently brought it up in the interview. Well, it's interesting because social media is, is a very dominant these days, especially in the job market. If anybody's out there looking for jobs, you know, you know, employers will Google you and they will look you up. I was out with a buyer, a very high-end buyer last year. And, you know, I'd say probably three out of the maybe five apartments I took him to, including the one he eventually bought. Before we arrived there, the uh, the co-brokers knew everything there was to know about my buyer. I mean, he's a, a big, you know, TV guy. So uh, behind the scenes, but um I kind of found it invasive and they weren't talking about me. They were talking about my buyer and I just thought the whole thing is very invasive. So it's not even a matter of wait and, you know, they don't, you know, when you put an offer and they'll start investigating you, they are looking up these people sometimes before. I do that a lot. I'll I'll Mm -hmm. search somebody on Instagram, Facebook and Google before, especially if they're not like a direct. It's like you're meeting someone from the Internet and they're coming into a room alone with you. It's like you should. But, you know, people should really do their research. I mean, in certain buildings, too, it's like you want to know who this person is. It's like, is it even worth my time showing a certain co-op if this well, guy if is you know, like That's right. On? If you know the building is a little, you know, crazy to begin with, then you're going to want to take that on. But, you know, just to Google everybody who comes through your show day, I mean, that, that seems like a lot of work. It is. Um, in my 19-year career, I've had two board turndowns. One is one was a fashion designer's son who was 24 years old applying to a five-unit co-op in in uh, in Soho, and this is like before Instagram was everything. And but there was articles about him and his partying and drug use on all over the media. Wow. All you had to do was Google it. So he was my very first board yes. turndown, and. I mean, the. I mean, I kind of warned them, you know, be prepared because this is going to be a really tough one. They didn't even bother interviewing him, and I'm telling you, it's, it was a strong board package. <laughs> Very strong. Yeah. I also, I also think that because of the 24/7 news cycle, mm-hmm. and Richard had mentioned the Biondi case. I it took me a minute to remember it, but that was in the news for weeks. Mm-hmm. And because real Big estate, as, as people listen to this show, and real estate is the new pornography and everybody pays attention, <laughs> that the boards are listening to these cases. And the boards are getting scared, especially when they're on a lot. Well, it's so, interesting to see how some of the boards are changing. Matt alluded to it a little while ago as they, you know, people are 
dying off or moving out or moving on, whatever. And you know, sorry, younger, a little harsh, a little harsh. <laughs> but, no, but, but the point is well taken, though. But you know, when as newer people are coming on board, I mean, <laughs> uh, things do change, and you know, they also have a, a, a charge in their mind where they they, they feel like they need to uh, start competing or continue to compete with condos. And condos are a whole different you know ball of wax. So let's talk a little bit about uh, putting together the board package. You know, a lot of buyers say to me sometimes. I'm sure you've all heard it before. This is a very invasive process. You know, they ask for everything. My, you know, my financials, not only my financials, but my statements. They want, you know, my social security number, although we've relaxed that a little bit and don't need to include that uh, outside of the attorneys. But they want to know everything. And I always joke, you know, they want, they're going to ask about your firstborn. So, you know, you got to strip in front of the board to get past the board and live in the building. And people, you know, some people are used to it, but first time co-op buyers are horrified by the process. Why in this town are we so difficult, you know, to sell? Everybody says to me, well, you know, I can buy an apartment here or I can sell a house there or I can do whatever. But here in New York City, it is so difficult. What are all the checks and balances about? I'm going to take that because I, as someone who's been through that and, and, and it's not a fun process, I agree. Um, I've been through it several times. The it's, it's because you're living in a communal environment and you're living with neighbors in a co-op. And a co-op by nature is 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 a community. And I think the people, before they welcome you, you're a stranger, and before they welcome you into their community, they want to know as much about you as possible. And they want to make sure, especially from a financial point of view, that you're going to have the wherewithal to be able to not only own your apartment, pay the expenses, but withstand you know, var- you know vagrancies in the, in the economy, ups and downs and so forth. Um, you know, I remember my last board package, you know, my husband and I did was 1300 pages. We had to have eight oh copies. My. Okay. It was an incredible, you know, we had literally two file boxes worth of things going to the board. And it was like, at the, at the end of it, it was like, wow. And, and, you know, and they asked us for a lot and a lot of things financially in order to, and we were eminently qualified for the building, but they asked us for a lot of things financially, but it is what it is. And then once you get through it, you get through it. And this is just part of living, living where you want to live, because a lot of these co-ops are in good locations. There's a lot of benefits for living, in, in my opinion, benefits for living in a co-op. And that's a little bit what you have to do is sort of the price of admission. I always say it's like um, um, running for a sorority or fraternity. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's great, great everyone, example. yeah, everyone, yeah. everyone's done it. Yeah. And if you want in, then you have to do the same thing that everyone that lives do in the you, building. Do you ever feel like sometimes when they, they kind of bounce things back and continue asking for things, it's just them being nosy and they just kind of want to know, you know, they're just kind of digging. That are stolen. Depends personal. what they're asking. Yeah, it depends you know, what they're asking. Sometimes it just seems a little. I've owned several co-ops, you know, in my day before condo. And I never, I personally never felt like it was invasive. I mean, my agent said, this is the process. This is what you need to give this is what you need to do there's a psychological like element to it certain neighborhoods yeah. certain I think there's a lot of psychological yes, elements to it also yeah. to take the building side for a minute and we've all been in the business quite a while and for those of us who have been in the business through the economic downturn I remember there are a number of buildings more condos than co-ops that ran into financial problems because what people don't realize about yeah. co-ops and Vince you said it earlier these are private corporations if you lost your job even if you're a big hotshot banker right. you're you're going to blow through your reserves, mm-hmm. but what are you going to do? You're going to pay what shows up on your credit card, on your credit report first. You'll pay your mortgage, you'll pay your credit card bills, your Con Ed bill, but ah, maintenance, Where's private the maintenance? corporation, Where's the maintenance? Uh, that can wait. Oh, they know me. Oh, I passed the board. Yep. This can wait. Yeah, I could name a number of co-ops where they had a lot of problems yeah, during the financial crisis, the and there also. were a couple fancy-ish condos that could not get financing 
during the economic downturn. I'm not going to name them now, but because um, so many people were behind in their common charges, it, it was a big problem. So to Co-ops take the building come side, a it is, yes, they have. And because they want to see those reserves, that's what I believe saved New York right. from we, the foreclosures. I agree. We had almost no but foreclosures in the last downturn in, in co-ops. 2.7% in Manhattan. And, and secondly, this also sort of begs the question, quite frankly, condominiums on resales have often have a requirements, and some of those requirements are almost as much as cubs. Yes, there's no board interview, but they're still looking for tax returns, they're still looking for letters of reference, they're still looking for employment letters, so it's still a, an almost identical package, you know, you know, less the interview. Show me the money. Show me the money. All right, we've got to take a break, but I just wanted to end with saying, you know, when I tell my buyers this all the time, because they all say, what happens to all of my data after I get approved by the board and after I move in and I tell them all the time they are supposed to and most if not all do they shred your information they have no reason to keep it behind they have no reason to file it in a drawer takes up a lot of space as Richard just said 1300 pages of, of you know uh, of a board package I mean it's crazy they shred they delete and so you can get back to your life and look people's life changes you know <laughs> sometimes immediately after they get approved all right stand by we're live from smash studios in Hudson Yards In New York, you're listening to um, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. I am Vince Rocco. We will be right back. Don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Hi, this is James Nelson. I'm a huge fan of Vince's show, and I'd like to invite you all now to listen to my show on the Voice America Network, Real Estate Investing, live from New York. I will teach you everything you need to know about investing and operating commercial real estate. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of TV and radio shows that deal with investing in the stock market, and yet almost none that cover exclusively commercial real estate. This is not a get-rich-quick or how-to-flip-home shows. I will teach you step-by-step how to source, acquire, improve, and profit from commercial real estate. Please tune in live to the Voice America Business Channel every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern and 4 p.m. Pacific. Thank you. At Halstead, we know that what moves you is important. We are all about the power of transformation. We're revolutionizing the way people live and work. We are agents of change. We are the deal makers. We are the fearless negotiators. We are the future builders. So you can move to what moves you. I'm Jeff Goodman at Halstead, and I love Vince's show. I host a program of my own, but not about real estate. Rediscovering New York is about our city's great neighborhoods, their history, texture, and their current vibe through interviews with historians, business owners, and interesting neighborhood personalities. We're broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc and available on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcasts. Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. I bring the city's great neighborhoods to life. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America 
at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Okay, everybody, we are back, and we are here with Richard Grossman from Halstead, Sean McPeak from Halstead, Deborah Hoffman from Halstead, uh, Jordan Shea from Douglas Elliman, Matthew Cohen from Halstead, and Anna Shagalov from Halstead. So we let's move on to condos, okay? The Manhattan luxury condo sales are moving slowly, even with freebies, according to Crane's uh, report. Extel Development gave investors a peek into how well its condos are selling in New York, and the message was clear. When trying to offload luxury apartments, throwing in concessions helps, but not enough to clear the inventory in a market brimming with high price competition. For example, at the Kent, an Upper East Side building where Excel offered to pay up to five years of uh, buyers' common charges, only five apartments sold or went in contract in the third quarter. So even with concessions, um, they're not moving as quickly. So what the heck is up with all of that? And, and, and one other thing here I was reading <coughs> yesterday. Extel developers, in addition to what I just said, are trying to lure buyers. Closings haven't yet started at their first tower in the outer borough, City Point in Brooklyn. But if buyers agree to purchase a one to three bedroom unit before December 31st, so in the next couple of weeks, they can get three to five year break on their carrying costs, three to five year break on their carrying costs, depending on the size of the apartment. Also earlier this year at one Manhattan square, they've offered all kinds of uh, common charge relief up to 10 years. And then when that didn't work, they were offering lease to buy situations. Yeah, they're offering move in now, close later. Correct. Well, so what, 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 what's the consensus right now with all these new buildings, all these new apartments, this oversupply of apartments on the market. Well, well, when we talk about new development, you should not talk about Gary. I mean, he's he's like, I'm sorry. That's just, you know, he has got a lot of so many buildings yeah. in the city that are yeah. just sitting there empty. You know, let's talk to someone a little bit, you know, like, like Bruce well, Eichner or something yeah, who has successful land, projects. Yeah, city Point's a land lease. Uh, you know, there's some people. Yeah, like there are that. all kinds of issues. <laughs> when you have, I think when you have that, a million yeah. different options, I mean, do you really want to live in downtown Brooklyn in a land right. lease? I think well, that might be an issue for them and then the one manhattan square is i mean it's a no man's land yeah well they're like what 800 units there or something it's yeah, yeah. Itself, but you know? one of the owners of terra holdings which is our parent company at halstead uh kent swig came to speak to our office oh, he brought all love, the statistics yes but he brought all the statistics which i did not bring with me but the bottom line He's is that heavy yeah, yeah but but the bottom line is there is a seven year yeah absorption rate on condos in yeah. Manhattan right now. And what that means is it will take seven years to sell all the inventory that's out there now. So we can go back to eighth grade and say, oh, it's that law we learned about supply and demand. And Way more, too much supply and more and are coming to add betcha. that seven year. Uh, I think we, we talked about it last week on the show. That seven year will become nine years nine starting years. in like but January. Yes, his news was from rule. two months ago. Correct. That's when he told us two I, months ago. If, if, if the product's not inspirational, if it's not high quality, you're just you're yeah of course it's a wash in inventory but if you have something like uh, financial district only had 109 sales last year out of almost 1900 apartments but then you have like 130 William launch and then pre-sales mm -hmm. they sell a third of the building in like 30 days also yeah. if it's really important to look at building permits and there are no yes. new permits right they're very every they're, they're zero down so I mean, yes, it's seven years, but we're in the process of absorbing it, and new product and that's coming be, on, and there will be a shortage. Yeah, well, uh, in seven years, but <laughs> the new product that's coming on, it's in boutique buildings of like five units, ten units. Mm -hmm. right. It's not in the hundreds of units <clears throat> anymore. Right. 
And then also what's interesting about, you know, and I personally think it'll take more than seven years to absorb that. Um, but w- what is interesting about new construction these days, as opposed to resale condos, is that with the market, you know, dying down a little bit and being soft. I mean, I just was with clients on Sunday who are kind of on this fence. You, you know, you'll see a lot of people who who would normally buy a co-op who are pushing to get a condo because of that softness. So, but most of them are in resale condos. You know, not a lot of them are in new development condos. However, for example, on Sunday we did see two new developments that. That, you know, I just know can come down in price. And so there are certain outlets where you can find things. Yeah. And, you know, one of the scary things these days with the with the new kind of developments is are the taxes have increased this year, calendar year 2019 to a at a rate that just doesn't even make sense. I mean, you can say it's high, it's this, it's that, but it just does not make sense. And so people are looking at these numbers and saying, come on now, you know, and in some cases, certainly the building I'm working in. Under a tax abatement, 10-year tax abatement, the number is aggressively high, and you know it's only going to go higher because we're only in year two of a tax abatement. So, you know, there are all kinds of things that are holding people back on the buy side of new condo I thought there was something interesting. Common charges are high as well. I'm sorry, Sean. Go ahead. Uh, if you read the Olshan report, it's the contract signed over $4 million Correct. weekly, and then the week of Thanksgiving, they actually had a huge spike. Yep. And basically, it was corresponding to a 10% price drop. Which kind of mm-hmm. so taxes went up between two to five percent, depending on what where over four million you're going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the ten percent price drop, you're seeing you know a record spike. So maybe that's the correlation is mm-hmm. if you drop ten percent, you'd pay two percent. You're actually saving eight percent, and maybe that's what's going to get this market moving. I, I agree with you, Sean. I think that we're looking at <clears throat> a price correction across the marketplace. I think that if you and I think the, the basic math is. Ask buyers, do you think prices will be higher or lower six months and a year from now? And I think buyers will say they'll be lower. I think if you want to sell today, you have to price into that. And I think that this is a normal part of our market to go mm-hmm. through higher high peaks and valleys in this. Right now, we're going into a valley. We're going to be here for a while, whether it's seven years or longer, like that says. You know, and, and there's lots of different types of products out there. They don't always act in the same way. But I do think that we're seeing uh, with price reductions and pricing correctly, buyers will come. There's certainly money and demand in there's money, yeah. and there's demand, but the demand is looking for a value. And I'm going back yeah. to what Vince said. You know, the, you know, the, not only are taxes going higher, but we can't write off those taxes with the yes. salt things. Mm-hmm. With salt, and we have the well, that too, high, yeah. higher transfer fees. We have the higher mansion taxes. Yep. All those things sort of hit the buyer and is making afford making apartments. Less affordable. In order to be more affordable, prices have to come down. If prices come down, buyers will be there. And I think it. Sorry, no, no, go ahead. And and I think you know the mix of that is Deborah was just eyeing me that it's it's not only the value, but it's also like bringing something that is not either there, which there are still opportunities of that in the market, Mm -hmm. or something that is very different. So you know, I mean, I don't I don't know how the success will be, but I give it up to people like Related, you know, who they they have a new development in Chelsea called Lantern House that are they kind of looks like little um I mean obviously lanterns, but they kind of look like bubbles. Um, it's <laughs> really like just creativeness. But I mean, my new development on the Upper East Side, people are very strategic. I mean, you know, these developers, for example, were, were launching in January and the only other comps in the whole area just sold out. So bringing something that's not there or bringing something that's creative, it's a good time in the market to do something like that. 
Well, you know, new new condo uh, new condo uh, sales, and I've been playing that field for many many years. You know, people in the beginning only needed and uh, wanted in a neighborhood. You know, so if you built something in a neighborhood they wanted, they were going to come, they were going to buy, and that was going to be the end of that success. Buildings sold out. Then it got to the point where people would follow the building. So I want to live on the Upper East Side, but then I ended up buying on on the Lower East Side. Or I want to live on the Lower East Side, I ended up buying in Chelsea because they went to a building, they liked the building, and they said, okay. For what I could afford, for the price point I'm in, for all of the, the above, I can deal with not living in the chosen neighborhood. But I think to your point, Matt, um, I think it's now coming back to that, or at least I'm seeing that. So if something is brand new in a neighborhood that you want to live in, uh, I think um, people are starting to be a little more specific in what they choose because the market is is as slow as it's ever been, in my opinion. But if I want to live on the Upper East Side or the Upper West Side or wherever it is, and if there's a new building there, I'm going to go and probably do that. I also think, though, that you know, to Richard's point before, you know, and you always say, Richard, you're not going to hear that ding uh, to know that you're at the bottom of the marketplace. You are going to um, know it when the prices start going up and when the people start buying, you know, fast and furious. And then you're going to say, what happened? Are we at the bottom? Are we over? Are we, you know, whatever? So uh, let's take a break. Um, we will come back in a few minutes. This is Good Morning New York Real Estate. I am Vince Rocco. This is the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We'll come right back. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. At Halstead, we know that what moves you is important. We're all about the power of transformation. We're revolutionizing the way people live and work. We are agents of change. We are the deal makers. We are the fearless negotiators. We are the future builders. So you can move to what moves you. I'm Jeff Goodman at Halstead, and I love Vince's show. I host a program of my own, but not about real estate. Rediscovering New York is about our city's great neighborhoods, their history, texture, and their current vibe through interviews with historians, business owners, and interesting neighborhood personalities. We're broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc and available on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcasts. Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. I bring the city's great neighborhoods to life. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. 
If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Okay, everybody, we are back. So as we talk more and more about the current state of the market, how agents uh, are negotiating the best deals for their clients, buyers and sellers, or at least trying to, what are some of the obstacles that you're all finding today out there that can impede a transaction? I mean, like I always say on this show, you know, deals can and do go sideways. And, you know, for the most part, um, it's pretty standard. But what are you seeing as some of the obstacles today that maybe in different markets we haven't seen before? Um, well, I always say bad brokers. <laughs> yes. Sorry, bad brokers always ruin transactions. Well, that's I see a lot of people exiting the business right now from the brokerage side, but I, I'm seeing just a lack of urgency. Yes. Management companies, lawyers, yeah. mortgage brokers Attorneys drop the sure. ball. Like mm-hmm. no one's really in a rush to do a deal because there's really no competition. I will say I'm finding a lot of situations where the buyers are really taking their time, and then yeah. once they finally jump, somebody else comes out of left field yeah. mm-hmm. and will yeah. outbid them because you've already you've negotiated such a great deal that the sellers are still looking and they're still aggressively marketing until that contract is signed. So if you want something and you're getting a really good deal, you can't you can't be dragging your feet. No. It's it's just not that kind of market. I also think what we keep on talking about the taxes that's that's ruining a lot of my potential deals. I mean, a lot of my clients who are buying, they they love that it's a buyer's market. They love that the market's soft. But as soon as we get a contract out, they're having our attorney do so much due diligence on the taxes and the tax history, and they're very nervous about it increasing. Um, I also just had a client pull out of a contract because he was buying in Nomad. Talk about new construction and and how you know some neighborhoods that are in such a boom, it's a negative because you have too much. Like Nomad right now, you have four new developments within two blocks of each other that are over a hundred units each. And wow. so we had a great contract out, a great deal that I negotiated, and um, you know just give myself a pat on the back. And then um, <laughs> we he pulled out because a new one came on the market. Like they finally launched shales and now he's nervous about all of the inventory and he also wants to see what else is out there, no, which I don't no, blame him. I feel yeah. the same I exact mean, way. Nomad, there's serious pricing competition. Uh, the Madison house launched and their, their, you know, one bedroom units are starting at 1500 a square foot, which is just an unbelievable price for something, you know, that quality and that height. But the issue, the reason for that, because I looked at one for myself, is that the one bedrooms there are total common charges taxes are thirty two hundred a month. Yeah, it's like three dollars a square foot. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot of money. It's yeah, so, that's a lot of money. I mean, because, yeah, you you have Madison like House cost for the building, like because the ceilings are so high. Yeah, the, and the and the apartments don't start until like one hundred and twenty feet. It's a shame too because it's a lot of great product. I mean, you have Madison House, two seventy seven fifth, Rose Hill, and thirty East thirty first. I just lost a deal to two seven seven fifth. Yeah, it's a great it's project. A great, yeah, it's a really great project. But you know, I think a lot of people in in some of the the buildings that there are a lot more apartments um, that just are coming to market and not necessarily willing to buy just yet because they want to buy where they know they can close, but also mm-hmm. not live in a ghost town. So you know, people are not necessarily going and wanting to be the first, second, or third person to sign a contract in these new buildings. I mean, I'm seeing a lot of that as well. But how about on the resale side? I mean, the condo marketplace is depressed. We all know that. But what about on the resale side? Any particular obstacles in the way of of co-ops or resale condos? I think the biggest obstacle right now, and especially in a lot of both in resales, both co-ops and condominiums, 
um, and I'm seeing this particularly in condominiums that were built in the 80s, is they look very dated. I went mm. on a pitch with some agents mm. last week for a penthouse, um, a, a unit, and it was, it's a great apartment. It, it, it has phenomenal views. It has, you know, it's, it's a duplex. It has, you know, you know, plenty of space. But the building it's in and, the, and, and it, both the building it's in and the apartment itself look dated. If you compare that new to new condominiums today, they have not necessarily held up well. And if, and if you compare it to sort of classic cooperative buildings, pre-war buildings, and some other things like that as well, they haven't held up as well. And when you look at cooperatives in any apartments today that often are reselling, often they may be in a state condition or they haven't been renovated in 30 years. And the amount of money you need to put into that apartment in cash post-purchase is usually significant. The days of renovating for three or $500,000 to do a renovation, no, no, I think no. are gone. You're looking to renovate it, to really do a very good renovation on a, on a two-bedroom apartment in New York. I think you're talking $750 to $1 million easily. I agree with Richard 100%, wow. and I've been very lucky. I'm doing an average of four listing presentations a week lately, which is good for all of us because that's what I saw when the market started turning around after the recession. But getting back to the point is a lot of the 10, 20-year-old condos are looking dated. I'm mainly pitching in um, co-ops. But right now, I know a lot of owners will kind of poo-poo staging like, oh, it's no big deal. But when you have a dated condo, a dated co-op, if you're not going to do the major renovations, you've got to do major staging, which will be less expensive. But to get your place sold, there's too much competition. And let's face it, the competition right now is still, even though we talk about how depressed the new condo market is, you know, glitter and brand new and never lived in before, it's major competition. It comes down to price. It's just, it always comes down to price. Bottom line. Right. That's it. I'm I'm finding that. I have to virtually stage almost every listing. Otherwise, I'm not getting people through the door. Absolutely. Even rentals. I'm doing one for a rental If it doesn't look like it's on Pinterest or like, you know, Architectural Digest, people won't come in. It's unbelievable. No, they won't. I also I also think in a market where buyers are calling the shots and they're asking for the moon, which I'm suggesting to my buyers to ask for the moon. The worst people could say is no. You never want to feel like you could have asked for more. It's the worst feeling in yes. the world. So, um, but in a market where they are, you know, I find with my business, I find with other people's businesses that, you know, buyers are asking for contingencies and especially with sale contingencies and board approval contingencies. They're not only slowing down transactions, I actually think that they're killing transactions at the same time because sellers are putting timelines on contingency. it. Unbelievable. I mean, how can you have, I have one on one of my transactions you and we put a month back on anyway it. If you, if yeah, you don't I pass the board. But it's, but it's a shame because my seller was so, I actually personally think that my, our attorney gave my seller bad advice, but you know, we put a, a month on the board approval uh, contingency and then that you're just setting yourself up for failure because we just exactly. talked about how co-ops have basically no timeline. I'm adverse to all these contingencies a, anyway. A lot, That's of, a lot of the time you put these contingencies in and then you get to that that deadline and you're almost there. So the contingencies somewhat, they, they don't mean as much as they do on the front end as they do on the back end. For fighting over a you know, 21-day financing contingency and I'm pushing back saying nothing less than yeah, 30. And, and at, and and at, day, at, and at day 27, no one's going back to the drawing board. Right. No. Right. Exactly. Okay. So it, it, it's just a matter of um, 
posturing, I think. I, I don't believe in contingencies. But how are we selling our how are we selling our listings these days when we've all said, you know, it's very difficult to do uh, in this particular marketplace. Virtual staging is, is one to get people in the door. It's all about getting people in the door and then hoping for the best versus how many open houses are still going on out there with zero attendance because people aren't coming to the door? There's a threshold issue, and I think we talked about it at the last show, where if you're if you're priced just over a threshold that people are looking um, on Street Easy, you're missing a, a huge market. Mm-hmm. So if you're, I, I think the example I used last week was if you're at like two two, and you can be at one nine nine five, you might still get that two two buyer, but they're just not seeing it because they don't need to be in that price point because there's so many options under that mark. I also think when you're around that correct price range and we are all seasoned agents here who know how to present a listing properly, you it really just takes time. I you know, I believe that there is a buyer for every apartment. So, you know, I, I've sold listings where we had no traffic over two months and then just all of a sudden a buyer comes. Yeah, I've you had know, a bidding so war that way. The that's the market Nobody that we're in. Nobody comes in and then three offers all at once. Yeah, yep. I mean, that's the market yes. we're in. And, and so what, I, you know, I think it's all about, you know, just explaining to your sellers, trying to keep them off Managing the ledge as well as mm-hmm. taking buyers a long time to sift through the inventory because sometimes in yes. certain types of product you have, you know, 30, 40, 50 listings of the same well, there kind of so price range and size. Right and right. I, I, I did, I'll, I'll tell you something that happened to me this year. I showed on February 13th and the guy submitted an offer in August and we signed a contract by September. So yeah. the guy only saw the apartment once in February. That's common. I also, and, and so, sorry, what I was trying to say before is that, you know, what is making a big difference these days are brokers who are willing to show and brokers who are not willing to show. Mm. I cannot tell you how many times I have an issue getting a client into a property and then we see something else because the agent is more willing to show and they pull the trigger. Yeah. Like, be willing to show. I showed five times on Saturday well, this weekend. Yeah. Right. Well, I think, and <laughs> right same here, place. and I think, you know, what was said before, you know, where it's difficult to, to, to deal with certain people, attorneys, whatever, it's becoming, I believe, more difficult to deal with some of our co-brokers because I think they're adopting the attitude. No one's going to buy it anyway. I'm not wasting my time. I'm not going there at six o'clock at night. I don't want to show on Saturday. I mean, I got a call this past weekend to show something at five o'clock on a Saturday. Normally, in a normal market, I'd say, Mm. I'm having a cocktail right now. (laughs) I ran yeah. to show, yeah. and and why wouldn't you? And no, at the that's end right. of the that's day, that's my attitude. I added to my team. I say, say yes to every show. Everything. Mm-hmm. I don't care. If yeah. You want to show your sellers that you're willing to jump at yes. any time. Yes. Anytime. Absolutely. And look, you know, who knows? Maybe it turns into something. But if you don't do it, it you know, you have no opportunity. So, so I'm finding that one. it's difficult with it with brokers as well. So anyway, uh, but. Buyers are moving more slowly. Negotiations are taking a lot longer. Contracts are taking a lot longer to get signed. I'm waiting for something to get signed. I think it's going to pull out anyway. It's excruciating. It's excruciating. It's just a, what are you waiting for? It's been out over a week. And then I, she says, well, what, what's the urgency? There's no urgency. I'll do it when I'm ready. It's oh just embarrassing that it's not automated by now. I hate when someone takes a couple days to get out a contract. It just makes no sense to me. Right. You know? Well, uh, you know, it, it, it is what it is. But I think everybody has their their drive in this particular type of market and we don't necessarily always subscribe to it um, because we all like you know to work in a, in a not a frenzied state but in, in but in a solid real professional you know environment but today we, everything is, is is sideways we always talk about you know the cooperation of the brokerage community but it's also to facilitate love these transactions love your co-brokers but also love your team and i don't mean like that you're the like my Pulse and Shaglove team or, you know, Sean's team. I mean, like 
your attorneys, your your um, inspectors, all the people that are going to get the transaction to move from A to Z quickly and know that those people are there to help you. And if you can get your buyers and sellers to work with your attorney, especially your attorney, then you're going to have a much smoother transaction. So, I mean, the, the, your team just goes well beyond just your co-brokerage community. I also right. think, you know, relating to your clients is huge right now, you know, because it's taking a longer time and a more mentally aggravating time going from a contract out to a contract signing. It's all about relating with your client and kind of, you know, understanding their perspective, especially at a time like now where you're just before Christmas and Hanukkah and New Year's, you know, people are going to holiday parties nightly. Um, And on top of that, I can truly understand. I mean, it's frustrating, don't get me wrong, but I can understand when my clients, we get a contract out and I always like to ask them, you know, almost every day, are you excited? Are you like getting excited? You know, not to push them, but I really want them to be excited. And um, sometimes they'll say to me lately, you know, I'm a little nervous now that we have a contract out because what if this deal will get better in a year? I'm going through that right now. Anyway, uh, we got to end it right there. That is our broadcast for today. Thank you for joining us. You can follow me on Twitter, on Facebook, or Instagram at Vince Rocco. We are back next week because if it is Tuesday morning, it is Good Morning New York Real Estate. Shoot for the moon, everyone. Even if you miss, you'll land among the stars. Be kind to one another. For all of us at Voice America, all around the world, thanks for joining us, and I will see you next time. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.